Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. Amen. Well, Pastor Duane is uh, spending some time with family, and uh, you know, that's, that's a challenge. I understand that challenge when you have parents that are getting up in years, and you travel, and you love on family and parents, and uh, it's always kind of that sense of you don't know how much longer your uh, parents have, and as they walk this earth, and they're ready to go home to be with Jesus, but, you know, let's just keep Pastor Dwayne in your prayers. You know, it's not easy. You can hardly get there from here. When you hear about his journey, he has to catch like three different flights to get to the nether regions of Canada, and and uh, it's quite an adventure. So pray for his return later this week. Thank you for, for that. Well, have you enjoyed Pastor Dwayne's series on uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor? Yeah. Isn't that been good? I, I just thought there was a real sweetness to that. I mean, what's not sweet about And, uh, you know, there's just so much love about him and, and the whole series. I kind of hear it cutting out. Can you hear me okay? All right, if we keep cutting out, I'll grab the mic and we'll do that this morning. I feel like, you know, with Mr. Rogers' series, I should be kind of changing my shoes and getting more comfortable here. And, uh, but for me, you know, comfortably sweats and a Seahawks sweatshirt. And then I could lay back in my lazy boy recliner and teach with you this morning, so that, (laughs) Perhaps that would be a bit too far. Let's, uh, we're going to share a passage that I think uh, the Lord has laid on my heart, and I think it's a good passage for us to look at. That's found in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. These are the seven letters to the seven churches throughout Asia, and this is uh, the first church that the Lord is writing to, and he says to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write... These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, and you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and found them false. You have persevered and you have endured hardship for my name, and you have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at the first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. May the Lord bless his word this morning. I have a question for you. How many of you enjoy still soda that has sat and got warm and has lost its entire fizz. Doesn't that sound good? 
A few of you, I'm sure, perhaps. Not me, no thank you. You know, I, I guess I'm a little bit at risk this morning. I, just a little disclaimer, because anytime I've, I've been uh, viewed as actually drinking soda or somehow endorsing soda, there, without fail, this has been the number one pushback in all my years of ministry, that I should not drink soda. And uh, so I'm at risk of alienating some of you. And I've had people come up and say, Pastor Steve, don't you realize this stuff is as bad as Satan's saliva. This will kill you. <laughs> it is terrible. <laughs> they, they cite some study where they fed a rat like 800 cans a day and the poor little rat's bladder exploded. And, you know, that's just, it's like, okay, I get that. So I'm at risk. Some of you have already thought, I'm not going to get anything out of the sermon. All he's doing is preaching about drinking soda. And that's, it's just the fizz, okay? It's just an illustration. And so you can drink what you want, but it's just that idea that when we walk with God, we should have that passion in our life that should kind of exude that fizz. That's the, the first love that we're going to talk about. And so we're going to be asking that question, how's the fizz in your life? We, uh, we heard a quote last week from Pastor Dwayne, and I want to just uh, reread that because it's such a good book. We read this together as a staff, as a team. And, and this, this is the, one of the best descriptions that I've heard of somebody who lost their fizz. He says, after 20 years, this is Henry Nowen and uh, respected author. He says, after 20 years in the academic world as a teacher of pastoral psychology, pastoral theology, and Christian spirituality, I began to experience a deep inner threat. As I entered into my 50s, I was able to realize the unlikelihood of doubling my years. I came face to face with the, same, the simple question, did becoming older bring me closer to Jesus? After 20 years of priesthood, I found myself saying, pray, I found myself praying poorly, living somewhat isolated from other people, and very much preoccupied with burning issues. Everyone was saying that I was doing really well, but something inside me was telling me that my success was putting my soul in danger. I began to ask myself whether my lack of contemplative prayer, my loneliness, and my constant changing involving in what seemed most urgent were signs that the spirit was gradually being suppressed. I was, it was very hard for me to see clearly and though I never spoke about hell, or only jokingly so, I woke up one day with the realization that I was living in a very dark place, and that the term burnout was a convenient psych psychological translation for a spiritual death. And so he realized, you know, here he was, a respected author and teacher. He realized he had lost his fizz. Jesus warned us, in Matthew 24, he said that in the last days that many will have their hearts wax cold because iniquity will abound. And so, so I think this is a good word for us today, a word of reminder, a good word of warning, a good word to have us step back and examine how are we doing? How, how is the spiritual fizz in my life? How is my first love? 
I want to give you just a quick background on the church of Ephesus because this started out with an amazing uh, passion. Ephesus was, was a very large, affluent city. It was a seaport. It was a, a strategic seaport. And, and they had, it had a lot going. It was the fourth largest city in the known, uh, as far as we know, in the entire world at that point. Um, a great amount of higher education. It had a lot going for it. And overlooking uh, on the side of the hill was called the Temple of Artemis, uh, or Diana, as, as the Romans renamed Artemis. That temple had an influence on the entire city. Anywhere in the city you could look up and see that and, and smell the, the sacrifices and, and hear the sounds, and it, it permeated, it created a culture over that entire city. And it was, it was very lost in its nature, in its culture. They, they were in pursuit of sorcery items, and we'll see in Acts chapter 19, where, where they burned all the sorcery items that were, were valued literally at millions of dollars. I mean, that's how the city was kind of chasing after something that had some kind of fizz, some kind of substance. They were looking at it and searching. It was also the center of where the emperor worship was based and started and, and spread from there. And so there was this interesting spiritual dynamic in this city that, that was looking after tr spiritual truth, very passionate in that pursuit. Kind of reminds me of a city that we live in, a city that's affluent, seaport, has, has a lot going for it, but chasing after spiritual emptiness. And it was into that setting that the Apostle Paul stepped into that at the end of his second missionary journey, came back on his third missionary journey, and there he had this immediate impact because out of that spiritual emptiness, people were hungry, people were responding, which is encouraging for us, knowing that there's a hungry in our culture today, and the gospel had this huge impact on that entire church and that, that entire city, and it began to multiply. Luke writes in Acts chapter 19 that the teaching in that region of Ephesus, Paul was there for about two and a half years teaching, it had an influence on that entire region of Asia. It says that every Greek and every Jew in that entire area, that modern day Turkey area, heard the gospel. So not only did it impact Ephesus, but it was a hub. I think that's what Rod and Cherry are, are the hub of Latin America. And I've been there in Panama and seen what God's doing. And they're influencing leaders who influence leaders who influence leaders. And, and, and so, so we're seeing that happen today. And that was happening in Ephesus where, where God was using these leaders and they had this tremendous passion of saying, let's, let's remove the obstacles. Let's serve the Lord with our whole heart. And it took off. And so, so that was the setting. And so this is about 40 years later when Jesus is speaking to John, saying, write these things down. Write this to this church at Ephesus that you have become very strong, but you have become very still. And so in 40 years, 
they had lost that fizz. And we're going to look a little closer at that. So let's start with Jesus' assessment of the church. He names their strengths. And I see at least eight here in this passage where it says, I know your deeds, your hard works, your perseverance. You cannot tolerate wicked men. You have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not. You have found them false. You have persevered. You have endured hardships for my name. You have not grown weary. Those, those are great assets. They stood for truth. They were busy. They persevered through hardship. They were being persecuted uh, severely in some instances, especially later on in their later years, but they stood firm. And it sounds great, doesn't it? But then there's one little thing. There's just one little thing that Jesus mentions in the next verse. And here's their big weakness that kind of outweighed everything else. He said, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. And I think the church thought that they were all that in a bag of chips. You want to... You know, when they're saying, hey, we got this going. We have truth. We are influencing an entire region. And, and God has used us in great ways. And so it would be like saying there's, there's all these things that add up, but there's the one thing that's the most important thing. It's like taking a bunch of zeros and saying, here's eight zeros in a row. Well, eight zeros in a row are, are worth what? Zero. What happens if you put a one in front of it? Did it? Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> What's that, 10 million? That's, that's, that's a lot. And here's the one thing that makes all the difference in the world, their first love for Jesus. Notice in this passage says that you have forsaken. In the NIV it says forsaken. Uh, other translations say you have left it, you have walked away from it, you have abandoned it. So it's not like they just misplaced it, but they had allowed themselves perhaps just become a little too busy and had not stayed in that thing that would fuel their passion. You know, the problem wasn't some kind of blatant rebellion, but I think a declining devotion would be, would be a good way to describe that. And, and it's all about relationship with Christ. When we talk about our walk with God, that passion, we know that it's all based on relationship. And so we're going to ask ourselves two really key questions this morning. I'm not going to keep you uh, terribly long. I, just, I think these are two really important things for us to ask. First of all, how do we know when we're losing our fizz for Jesus? And second... How do we restore it if we've lost it? Two important questions this morning. So let's start with how do we know if that's happened? This has been my prayer as I've prepared this passage. Lord, speak to me, show me if, I, if I'm falling short in any areas. And so this has been a self-examination of me and, and so I just wrote down some of those spiritual assessment kind of questions. And the first is, do I have a joy in my walk with Jesus? Is, is there a sense of 
lightness and excitement and joy that permeates me. Now, you're, you know, they're gonna have, we're going to have serious moments, true, but, but overall, there should be a sense of we're walking every day with a sense of joy. So, so check yourself out. Ask yourself, is my spiritual life becoming boring? Last thing our spiritual life should ever be is boring. We have this creative God that's given us and empowered us, the Holy Spirit, to get this job done, and, and we should have that sense of excitement and creativity at all times. Is it a duty or delight to, to serve Jesus? When we talk about the disciplines, do we have to do that out of duty? Years ago, I think I experienced one of those uh, duty and delight kind of things when I was in fifth grade, all the way back to fifth grade. And my mom wanted me to learn how to play the piano. My sisters played the piano. She thought it was about time for Steve to learn how to play the piano. And I, I can tell you from the first moment, I hated it. <laughs> it, was, it was painful. And uh, so I would, go to the, I would go to the piano teacher, and she could tell I hadn't practiced, and I tried. My mom made me, so I tried. And there was just something about... Uh, if, how many piano teachers do we have here today? I'm sure there's a couple of you. Just a, just a, this would be a little wisdom that I would share. This is what happened to me. Every book that they gave me of music had a pink poodle. <laughs> and there's the pink poodle minuet and the dancing poodle and the French poodle and everything had a poodle. And I'm in fifth grade. And what happens if you're in fifth grade and you're walking home from piano lessons and you have a little book with a, pen, a pink poodle? You know, you're going to get beat up. And so I, you know, it's like, get some, some young guy songs or something in there. But I, I just, oh, you know, I, I hated it. All my friends were out doing something that I would consider a delight. We, we played a lot of sports, a lot of basketball, a lot of football. We were down at the park playing football. In the afternoon, I had to be home practicing the piano. Now, sometimes we approach our spiritual walk with that kind of, like, something we have to do. Oh, I have to read the Word. I have to pray. And we're kind of always beating ourselves up. I'm not doing it enough. I would propose that we do it in a sense of delight, like I would have done with playing football in the park something that I enjoyed and, and wanted to do, and, and that's our spiritual walk. It should never be this sense of, I have to, but the sense of, I get to. And so that makes all the difference in the world in, in evaluating, how are these things happening in my life? Am I enjoying my disciplines? Is obedience in small matters built into my reflexes? What is bothering me the most these days? Does it bother me more that I have neighbors that uh, don't know Jesus, and if, if their lives ended, they would go into eternity without Christ. Does that bother me more than my discomforts or, or something that's stepped on my toes? 
and some little frustration that I have. You know, there should be something inside of us that is very bothered by people that don't know Christ, that we need to do everything we can. And so those are some good evaluating questions. And here's the best one. Jesus, how do you think I'm doing? Because we can be, you know, like Ephesus, we can think, oh, you know, we're pretty good. And so ask the Lord. Get into a quiet place so you can hear him. Say, how do you think I'm doing? <laughs> and then listen to what he says. And that leads us into the second part of this. How do we know we're losing our fizz? Give yourself honest answers in all these areas. I love this passage in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. It says, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. I, I love that passage because it's saying, here's, here's the bottom line is Christ is with you. You're not going to fool him and cover anything up with him. He knows everything about us, and he knows when we need to come before him and say, Lord, I need to come back into that passionate relationship with you. And so it's good just to evaluate. It's good to be in our quiet time, be listening to what God is saying, be asking him, how can I do a little better? And sometimes it's not some big major change. It's just some little improvements along the road, just some little tweaks here and there that really can make the whole difference in how we can walk with Christ. And so if we find ourselves lacking, here's the second part of this. Then how do we restore our first love? And in this passage, we have those answers, verses 5 through 7. I'll read this once again. Remember the height from which you have fallen. So we're going to talk about remember. Repent and do the things you did at the first. Number two, we'll talk about repenting. And then he warns, if you don't repent, I'll remove the lampstand from its place. Uh, you hate the Nicolaitans, not the Nickelodeons, the Nicolaitans, which I hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church, to him who overcomes. So number three, we're going to talk about responding. So remember, repent, respond, and I will give to you the right to eat from the tree of life. And so let's start with that whole idea of remembering. Remember, remember your, your first walk with Christ, that first love. Some of you are there. Some of you are just finding Christ. And we love that. We love that in, in this church. We talk about that uh, in staff. Just, yeah, we met this family. We met this family. And, and boy, we see God doing things here. And people are finding Christ and responding. And, and I love that. It's like having kids at the Christmas party instead of a bunch of adults exchanging socks, you know, it's, there's life, there's life in, the, in this body, and, and we're so thankful, but how many of us have been serving the Lord for more than a few years? Uh, okay, I won't ask you how many, but just, you know, we've, we've, some of us have been around, and I've, I just got saved at age 16, 
And, and I remember those, those were exciting years. I could not get enough of Jesus. And my friends thought I had hit my head and gone crazy. They, they did not understand because I came out of drugs and all kinds of gunk and just got lit up for Jesus. And, and there was, you know, just thinking back those early years, I couldn't read the Bible enough. I couldn't pray enough. And, and so just, you know, remember, stop and think back to those years where you have sensed God's presence, God's power in your life. And a good evaluation question would be, was there a time when you felt like you were more in love with Jesus than you are now? And that's probably where we need to pause and, and just think back. Think of that joy and that excitement and all those things in your life. And this has been a good, uh, you know, this sermon has worked on me. I actually haven't worked on this sermon. It has worked on me for, for a couple weeks. The writer of the Hebrews said, you must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not let it drift away. And, and sometimes there's just that tendency to just get a little sidetracked and just let things drift away. Through the years of, of ministry, I haven't done a lot, but I, I've done a little bit of marriage counseling. And, uh, and boy, you know, it's, uh, if you're involved in marriage counseling, I'll pray for you. It's, you know, it's, it's tough. And you have, sometimes you have some pretty deep needs coming in. By the time somebody comes in for counseling, things aren't looking so well in that marriage. And, and th through the years, um, one of the things that, that I've learned, one of the tools, is just helping the couple to think back. You know, share with me how you guys met. Just, you know, just sometimes there's so much tension. It's like, well, let's, let's kind of time out here. Let's think about, okay, let's talk about some, some of the good experiences you've had, some of those early years. How many remember falling in love with your sweetheart? I remember. And, uh, you know, those are amazing years, and you want to see them and be with them. And, and, you know, it's a lot of similarities with our first love for Jesus, kind of that, that fizz is there, that passion's there. I uh, just a a little bit of fun for a second. I came across some love experts that were talking about falling in love for the first time. These were grade school children. And uh, Glenn, age seven, they asked them, you know, what, uh, what they thought about falling in love. And Glenn, age seven, said, if falling in love is anything like learning how to spell, I don't want to do it. It takes too long. So, <laughs> Regina, age 10, she, uh, she agrees, I'm not rushing into love. I'm finding fourth grade hard enough. So, <laughs> that's very wise, Regina. <laughs> Angie, age 10, most men are brainless, so you, <laughs> so you might as well try to f more than once to find a live one. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck, Angie, finding a live one. <laughs> Dave, age eight, 
Love will find you, even if you're trying to hide from it. I've been trying to hide from it since I was five, but the girls keep finding me. <laughs> so that's uh, some little advice from the love experts. And as you get older, you discover, oh, yeah, it's a good thing. It's a good thing when we find that person that we want to spend our life with. And, and, and I, you know, I was very fortunate. And God blessed me with such a wonderful spouse. And, and I can say that first love, that excitement, it matures and it changes, but it grows. It gets better. So, you know, if, if there's any of you that are thinking, well, I don't know if I'm cut out for, for that, uh, you know, I think it's a wonderful thing. It's, marriage is absolutely awesome. And so I just want to say I, some good things. Sometimes we hear a lot of bad things about that. But what I have discovered, there's two things that really seem to help us the most yeah, and that is trust, having trust. And, and marriage needs to be built on trust and fun, having fun together. That's, you know, that's the fizz. That's just to laugh together. And because uh, life is tough sometimes. And just to be able to laugh at some of the absurdities of life and things we, we laugh about every night when we spend time with our grandkids, we laugh about the things that our grandkids say and do. We were doing that yesterday. Our four-year-old granddaughter, she, she looked at us with disgust, and she said, you'll never believe who Bear likes as a football team. And this is a, her brother's friend. We said, who? She said, the New England Patriots. And she said, she said, guess who's his favorite player? And before I could get it out, she said, Tom Brady. <laughs> Just like that. Total disgust. Four years old. She's brilliant. She's brilliant. You know, that's like, it's, 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 that's what makes life fun, you know. Just kind of enjoy those moments and, and just, you know, Connect with one another. Keep it fresh. Keep it alive. And it's exactly the same in our relationship with Christ. Trust. Have fun with Jesus. It doesn't have to be this, this holy seriousness, this, you know, where we think we have to always be downcast. It is, it is an absolute blast to walk with Christ and to walk in that freedom that he gives us. And, and so it's just all those ingredients of a marriage, having the freshness and, and just that sense of proximity and, and being with each other and, and working at that. So that, that's where it starts with that. With Just think back. Just remember. Remember how great it was. Get back to that. Aren't you thankful the Lord is always there with a message of grace? There's not any condemnation in that. It's like if you can think back, oh, yeah, it used to be better in my Christian walk. Well, then run back to him. That's why he's here this morning, that message of grace. Number two, 
So not only remember, repent. Repent and do the things you did at the first. Corey Tim Boom said these words, an unrepented sin is a continued sin. And repentance is not only saying I'm sorry, but saying that I'm through, <laughs> that I'm done. And, and so there needs to be some action to that. But I'm so thankful for God's grace once again in this whole area of repentance where the writer of the Hebrews said, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. And there's passage after passage that reminds us of his amazing grace. We run to that. And what is that cleansing that's being talked about? It's just that forgiveness of Christ. His shed blood was shed so that we can come to him and have every sin forgiven. Perhaps there's some of you here this morning that you have never made that initial step, and you're not even sure how you do that. I, I, just, I just sense in my spirit, I just need to encourage you. It's just a simple prayer. It's just a simple saying, Lord, I need you. It doesn't take an eloquent prayer. It doesn't take any degree. It just, it just takes a heart that's hungry to say, I think I need that. I think I need that walk with Christ. I've never experienced what he's talking about. And it's here for you today. We'll have a chance to respond at the end of this gathering. And that leads us to the third point of this. Very simple. Remember, repent, and then finally respond. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To him who overcomes... I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. I, I love that, the tree of life. I mean, I love trees. I love uh, the beauty of God's creation around us. And a tree to me is majestic and strong, grand. And, and what Jesus is saying here. I believe there's going to literally be a future tree of life. I, don't, I think it's both literal and figurative in the sense of we will, we will actually eat of the fruit of that someday and see that tree of life. But I think it is, in a grander way, I think it is available for us today that tree of life represents everything that God has provided for us that we have been given away into his presence now to enjoy fellowship with him now. And so he's saying if you respond to these things, you enter into his presence right now, not someday. Our lives literally get lit up for Jesus when we run into his presence. I read about a spec study a few years ago when they were just starting do the brain studies and what parts of the brain are used and light up during the spec uh, study. It was university, uh, university College in London did this study. And I'll just read this. Discovered that when a person is in love, their brain lights up. When test subjects were shown photographs of their sweethearts, certain areas of their brain just lit up. And it's, it was in the area of where we would feel those deep emotions. 
where that the blood would be flowing to that area and there'd be a, a, a lighting up with that equipment. And then in addition, looking at, the, at these pictures of their sweethearts, also reduced activity in the areas of the brain that are known to cause people to be upset or depressed. And so the blood is flowing in the right parts of your brain when you see, look at your sweetheart right now, light your brain up, and uh, just go ahead, it's okay, you can do that in church. And light your brain up. I mean, it's yeah, the whole idea of when we come into the presence of Jesus, there's something inside of us, I think, that lights up. And, and you just, you want to be there more, and you want to look into his beauty and behold him through the word and understand him and seek him and make that your passion of life. This week, Pastor Sean shared a passage that I, when I heard it, I just thought that is perfect for what I've been thinking here. In Psalm 13, three, it says, uh, turn and answer me, O Lord. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Isn't that good? New Living Translation, restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. It's that whole idea, you know, and you see somebody that is passionate, you see the sparkle in their eyes, don't you? And there's just something, you know, different about somebody that's going through life, just going through the motions, and, and that's my prayer here for us this morning. As, as we come to the concluding thoughts, I'll have the worship team come rejoin us on the platform I want to take just a minute and, and just kind of the warning part. You know, um, through the years of ministry, I've watched a change in how, how we share from the platform. And so in my lifetime, this is what I've observed. We used to get up and say, you, 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 you know, uh, woe is you, woe is you, woe is you. And, and that was kind of the gauge of a good service, as if we kind of, people felt a little beat up, you know, and, and it's ouch, ouch, ouch. And I think we got better at this where we started to say, what was us? And including language that talked about, this is our journey. Because uh, the spiritual walk happens in community. And, and so, so ministers learned how to get up and kind of be a little more inclusive and a little less this, a little bit more toward ourselves. But this is what I sense the Lord saying at this point as we conclude. This passage has a little bit of a sharp hook. And I felt the Lord say to me, don't dull that hook. As a fisherman, I understood what the Lord was saying. Let this passage have a sharpness. I don't, have to, I don't have to be sharp, but the passage has a sense of warning. If you don't, this is, this is a big deal. If you don't. He says, I will remove your lamps to him. I've been in what was Ephesus. It's just, uh, just a, a dusty hill with a few ruins on it. The city's gone, the church is gone. It was removed. 
And so there's that sense of a personal application. Let's let the Lord speak to us this morning. Let's, let's pray. Father, there's, uh, there's times I know in my life where I know I've just done so well with my walk with you, and there's times that I've just let it grow still. I get sidetracked and busy and bothered. And Lord, in, in my prep for this message, you know my heart. I, I have searched and asked, Lord, how am I doing? Am I living this out? And, and I feel like I'm on that journey, Lord, of renewing and fine-tuning some things. And I can say that I haven't arrived. I haven't arrived to where I feel like I'm 100% passionate all the time. I, I'm still realizing there's, there's growth and there's a renewal and there's a remembering and a repentance that's happening in my life as well. Lord, you have given me hope that this is how we pursue that. These simple passages are here to remind us, to remember, to repent, to respond. Lord, I think that your grace is more than sufficient for us this morning. Thank you, Lord, as you speak to us in a very personal way. Let that sharp hook penetrate into areas that need to be affected. Lord, do that surgery with that laser-like process of pinpointing areas in our hearts that are definitely out of tune. Sometimes it's not a big mystery. We know if we have hidden sin in our hearts, Lord, we know that that has to be removed. But sometimes, Lord, it's, it's a little more difficult to, to separate the good from the better and the best, to know what will bring the most spiritual health into our lives, Lord. Speak to us. Here we are as your servants. Speak to us. One last passage, and we're going to share in communion and celebrate God's forgiveness. It says, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Let's celebrate communion together.